Are you ready to take your leadership and your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate, evolve, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world. And you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute, formerly Metcalf & Associates. With me on today's show is Angelo Mazzocco. Angelo is a senior business management executive who's performed in a number of roles, including chief executive officer and president, chief information officer, chief operating officer, corporate strategy, and organizational development operations and execution, leadership and resource alignment, and graduate school educator. So basically, Angelo has done everything senior. And today, we're going to talk about his role as CIO. So as a CIO and member of the executive team, you focus well beyond the technology. And in fact, as you've elevated in your roles, and especially because you've been these other roles, you've really taken more the position of executive team leader who happens to have come out of technology rather than a technologist who happens to be invited to the executive team role. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what that shift in activities and mindset looks like for those aspiring to move into a C-level role and also those in those roles who really want to shift how that part of, of your work functions. So my request to you as listeners is that you take something away from this interview that either changes your mindset or you can put into practice immediately. So I appreciate that people listen. I hope more that topics we discuss are actionable so that you can perform better when you go back to work or as you're sitting at work. Uh, So Angela, welcome. Thank you. You have been a significant mentor of mine and inspiration professionally, so I'm delighted to have you back. Well, I am glad to be back. It is always fun to come here and um, have a little talk with you. Thank you. So let's start by giving a little bit more background who you are and how you got here. Well, I'll tell you, before I tell you that, I do want to remember what you just said. Tomorrow, when I go back on um, uh, the next work day that mm-hmm. I go back into work, I'm going to tell my boss, the CEO, that uh, I'm an executive team leader, no longer just a CIO. So I like, <laughs> I like that quote. So. But uh, no, on a, on a serious uh, matter, my current role is uh, Chief Information Officer mm-hmm. for uh, Central Ohio Primary Care, which is the largest independent physician group that's privately held in the U.S., even though it's primarily located in Ohio. So that's what I do today. And why is that significant given the changes in the practice of medicine right now in the U.S.? Well... I think that medicine is becoming every day more dependent on technology. Mm-hmm. I think in the early days, we always knew of x-rays and laboratory work going on, and that mm-hmm. technology, of course, being so important. But today, methods of uh, business intelligence and uh, applications um, mm-hmm. 
the wearables and things of that sort that now mm-hmm. can really help us along with our health. So there are so many things technologically mm-hmm. that we can use. So let's jump into the content. And I also invite you to share personal stories about how you got here and <clears throat> why this is so important to you right now. Well, you know, uh, let me give you a little background because, you know, you talked about all the different roles that I've had mm-hmm. and there's really an intermixing there of titles and roles. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you've been in an industry for or been in a uh, an industry such as technology as I have for over 40 years, you sort of have had the opportunity to do a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. This is an industry that has not stayed still. So I think if we start back when I started, which was in the 70s, I won't say what year because then I'll completely give away my <laughs> age. Uh, in, in the 70s, technology was largely used for accounting, uh, keeping track of numbers. You know, it was a sort of a fancy uh, calculator in, in sorts, mm-hmm. the department was, because we were keeping track of things like how many sales came in and, mm-hmm. you know, how many customers do we have? Really not all that sophisticated. Well, um, that was the day of mainframes too, right? Yes, it was. And calculators that costed uh, $129 that just did add, subtract, multiply, and divide. Too. And now you get those for free. Oh my gosh, you get it just by taking out your checking account, right? Mm-hmm. So, yes, it, it was a different age. Mm-hmm. Um, the mainframe computer, which I'm sure a lot of people know that term, but what that always means to me was that we were all connected to essentially one computer. So mm-hmm. we could have worked at a large company, mm-hmm. you know, pick pick one in the U.S., and yet we would have all been connected to one computer. It wasn't like today where each of us are working with one computer and then have a, a more than likely an iPhone, which is another computer off mm-hmm. to the side to do our social stuff, and then, you know, maybe even another computer to do other things. And then, oh, by the way, we're wearing our wearables, our, mm-hmm. our, our watches that keep track of our heartbeat and things like that. So it's really gone above and beyond from where it was back then. So, And our computing power, I probably have as much computing power in my mobile phone as we had on <clears> some of those mainframes. That's true. The very first place that I worked at, and, and I'll, it was NCR, National mm-hmm. Cash Register, mm-hmm. and the cash register really was what we did in those days. We made cash registers, mm-hmm. but we also made computers. We were the second largest maker of mainframes next to IBM. Mm. And do you know, uh, just coincidentally, Watson, the great Watson mm-hmm. of IBM, worked his first job at NCR. Hmm. And uh, he left NCR to create IBM. So you see the, the connections. But the mainframe world was, was very different from what we have today. And uh, when we started at NCR, they gave us a keychain, you know, as our memorable gift. Mm-hmm. And it was a keychain that had a chip in it. So it was a chip from a mainframe computer. And I remember them telling us that that chip could contain as much as one whole daily newspaper. Hmm. Think about that. A chip today of similar size would probably be able to fill an entire year's worth of newspapers, be able to hold that much information. Mm -hmm. So it was just a matter of, you know, perspective that, you know, the the mainframe day 
was really a time when things were huge. It was not unusual for a computer to take up an entire room. Uh, we had buildings that were devoted to data centers. So those data basic c- storage. Right. And those, drives. And, and the other thing was those data centers were per company. Yeah, there we was didn't have no, the cloud. Right. There was no sharing. Mm-hmm. There was one company, at least one data center. Mm-hmm. And it was just filled with everything to support that one computer that was the size of a room. And there might have been tape machines. Of course, there were disk machines because mm-hmm. those were the types of storage that we had in those days. Mm-hmm. We had, you know, card readers and things like that, um, you know, the, the ancient mm-hmm. stories. And then, mm-hmm. of course, I, I made the uh, mistake one day of uh, dropping all my cards and then trying to figure out how to sort them and put them in order. So it was quite a different time. You know, I worked in programming and systems analysis and database analysis over my first 10 years. And I thought the world was technical. Thank God, you know, along the way I was able to get an MBA Mm -hmm. because I was really frustrated as just a technologist. And this is not a plug for MBAs, but technologists have a tendency, and I was the same, to say, why aren't we using the absolute best technology all the time? And I went and got my MBA and realized, oh, there is a return on investment. Mm -hmm. There is a cost. So it was the best thing I ever did for me. It relieved a ton of stress, and Mm -hmm. it got me really focused on not just the technology, but how that technology was helping the business. And in order to do that, how we were able to justify new technology Mm -hmm. for the purpose and betterment of the business. So that's a great lead into then, how did your role change when you got your first C-level role? Well, and I'm going to say once I got past those first 10 years, I got into a major consulting company, you know, one of the big mm-hmm. eight. And that's really where my mind changed. So the MBA okay. had a lot to do with it. But then I worked for one of these big companies. Uh, it was uh, we went worked for the same one, right? right? It, today, <laughs> it's called Accenture. Back then, it was Anderson Consulting. And what another education we got there. And I remember... You know, each company does its consulting the way that it wants, and it Mm -hmm. defines its directions. And our directions there were very much uh, along the lines of strategy, process, tools, and people. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first time I heard that, I was sort of trying to understand, what are they talking about? You know, I'm a a systems guy, right? Mm -hmm. Well, what they were talking about is that Information systems, information technology is more than just the tool part. It's also pre-thinking, not just a year's worth of pre-thinking, but for the next three, five, ten years, where are we going to go with this technology? It's also trying to make sure the people are going to fit with the new technology. And what a big question that is because humans are a bit complicated sometimes oh my gosh yes and i I remember uh the first project i ever worked on just taking a computer actually it wasn't a computer it was the uh cathode ray tube the crt Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. those big green screens and putting it on a an end user's desk and it was an accountant and that end user looked at me with such fright like what are you doing you know Mm -hmm. and we never considered that early in the process training 
we didn't really do, yeah we weren't doing it was more like you know here's a piece of paper with how you get onto the system and there's an application you can begin to use and of course then we took a ton of questions mm-hmm. over the phone because people didn't know what quite to do and it didn't take us long to figure out that we had to do a better job with that <laughs> but but these consulting companies realized early on that that's a discipline itself mm-hmm. just the people aspect how should they be trained? Are they a right fit for the new role they're going to mm-hmm. play using a system? Are they going to maybe progress into something else that they aren't doing today? Mm-hmm. And so some of the Briggs Myers tests started to get used and you know, are you in the right role and maybe you are you a, a creative or are you more of a an execution person and we started actually placing people into roles where you know they they might uh, be happier so that became a whole discipline and it's it's interesting because now my daughter uh, today is with one of the other big firms Deloitte and uh, she's in human capital management so that's Mm -hmm. what they what started out as people is now human capital at many companies but um, there's a lot of attention being paid to that in many ways, as humans, we run the machines, or at least that's how it, we like to believe. And if the humans aren't able, humans, us, living souls, aren't able to function because we haven't been supported, trained, right. engaged, working in a positive, constructive culture with system, performance management systems, and a boss who is offering support uh, and coaching, we're likely not to generate the kind of outcome that that's aligned with the ROI you're calculating when you install a system. Right, exactly. So that's so important. But the idea was there was more, you know, I learned in consulting that there was mm-hmm. more to it than just mm-hmm. the tools. And there was this thing called process, which is sort of outside of the system itself, right? Mm-hmm. How do we move the information from place to place and how does mm-hmm. one department get uh, communicated to with another so it was quite eye-opening and mm-hmm. another you know I've been very blessed every step I've gone uh, in my career it's almost like uh, it was waiting for me mm-hmm. um, and then the strategy that's probably the one thing that I feel we can get so much better at. I think mm-hmm. that we've come a long way in those areas of people and process, tools, things like that. But strategy, I sort of see life according to some of the Briggs-Meyer type testing and, and characteristics. And so there's a lot of people that don't like to plan and don't like to plan, mm-hmm. you know, let alone over a year, mm-hmm. over five or 10 years. That's well, a very difficult thing to do. And I hear people saying now with the rate of change, we don't have to plan anymore, which well, I think is completely false. Yeah, I think that many people who don't like to plan are really embracing that. <laughs> but even if we don't have to plan, I would want to plan because you have to set a direction in a certain yeah. way and you have to have goals. And that's what you're talking about. And, and okay, I said 10 years, maybe that's too long. You know, maybe, well, but, but maybe certainly not. five. When you're... When you're Investing in capital assets, right. you need to have a capital management plan that's intersecting with where the business is going. I get that it's not going to be what we 
predicted. None of us has a crystal ball, but we plan it and hold it lightly. Right. And we don't expect people to hit the numbers that were planned three years ago, of course, but overall business direction, core initiatives, investments, those kinds of things have to be attended to, and I get that you refine them. Right. I, I agree. And strategic planning is a lot different than just corporate planning mm-hmm, or budgeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, typically corporate planning, budgeting is either year to year or maybe every two years. But when you talk about a strategic plan, you're you're really talking about what do we want to be in five years. It's almost like, mm-hmm. you know, if we were a 30-year-old working a certain mm-hmm. job and someone saying to you, okay, let's take a step back, let's relax, and let's figure out what do you want to be doing five years from now? I mean, we should all do that. We should all do that. I self-assess. For me, it ends up being mm-hmm. every seven years. And what I mean by reassess is I go through an evaluation of myself as as to whether what I'm doing today is what I should be doing. And I do the same. I do it pretty much annually, either birthday or New Year's, and those happen to be a couple of weeks apart. But yeah, am I aligned with what did I plan for the year? Am I on track? Where do I refine for next year? And what's my three, five, ten year plan look like? Mm-hmm. You know, at a certain age, we look at um, where do I want to live and spend the next ten years of my career, because that number of years remaining is, assuming I don't work to be a hundred, is getting smaller than the number of years behind me. Yes, and but, I, I, but I think. I am so glad to hear that you do that, too, because I think we owe that to ourselves. You know, it used to be that we worked at the same company, and we could stay there for 30, 40 years. We would get our pension, Mm -hmm. and we would ride off into the sunset. Well, you know, a long time ago, corporate America said, hey, you take care of yourself from a career Mm -hmm. standpoint, and... uh, you know, you're not going to get those big pensions anymore. So for the most part, you have to navigate yourself and mm-hmm. figure out how you're going to do it with your 401ks, your bonuses or whatever. But I think it gives us a great opportunity to say, you know, is this really where I want to be for the next five years, six years, seven years? And you have different things that happen to you in your life that I think affects your answer. Mm-hmm. I had something happen, you know, right before I came into this job where Mm -hmm. my sister passed. And a lot of that had to do with a lack of information that flows between the different Mm -hmm. hospital systems. So she had, you know, surgery at one hospital and then Mm -hmm. had to be rushed to another hospital. Mm -hmm. And many times these different systems don't have access to your information. So think about that, you know, how important... It is for a doctor to know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. before he even treats you or she even treats you that you had this surgery over here. So without that know-how, that knowledge, she went untreated for some things that she had and some complications arose. But that's where I thought, gosh, we solved that problem in banking. It's called Mm -hmm. interoperability. You know, uh, not too long ago, a few years ago, I was in Italy and was able to open my account and get money mm-hmm. out. Yeah, I've done the same thing all over the world. Yeah. ATM if machine. If I were to go to a hospital 
in Italy, unless I had my health information with me, they would not be able to access it. So that's a major problem, uh, not only in this country, in this state, but mm-hmm. throughout throughout the world, at least with our systems. And so how did that impact your career? Because I've heard you talk about this before, and as a friend, I know this is a defining moment in your life to lose a sibling. You're too young to lose a sibling. And for something that should have been resolved. Well, I think that the old way, older way of thinking, and believe me, I'm old, so I can say that, uh, the older way of thinking was, you know, you stay in the same career and mm-hmm. whatever happens, happens. And, you know, I'll be a good IT person. And, mm-hmm. But this happened and I, you know, probably a year or so after that happened and I assessed and said, gosh, you know, what more can I accomplish in the company and industry I, I'm at? Mm-hmm. Why don't I come over into healthcare mm-hmm. and let me figure out where I can be of the greatest help and try to solve some of these problems? Because, mm-hmm. in a way, how ignorant is of, is it of us to be bragging about what great technology we have, and we can't even gather information about someone mm-hmm. who's had something bad from another hospital? You know, had something happen to them bad can't gather that information from a hospital that's less than 30 miles away because they're not in the same system, mm-hmm. not in the same hospital system or medical system. So that was part of what I felt we could attack and we could mm-hmm. make right. It would take some time, and we're getting there. I'll tell you, we are getting there as an industry, and there are just certain things as IT people, especially if you've been in different industries, like I've been mm-hmm. lucky enough to, where you see things and you say, that's just not right. There's no way people in this world, and people are dying every day mm-hmm. because they're put in, you know, in a car accident, they're unconscious, they're rushed to a hospital, the hospital they're at knows nothing about them. Mm-hmm. No background, doesn't know that that person mm-hmm. may have had a, uh, a transplant or may have had uh, some other type of condition. So, you know, that physician is riding blind. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we owe it to ourselves, we owe it to our, our medical community to utilize the technology we've had and mm-hmm. that we use in every other industry to make it right there. And, yeah, there's a lot of different rules we have to work within, but you know what? We still can make it right. Thank you for sharing that. When I said tell your history, I was hoping you would share that story. To be able to connect something that is so valuable to you to the work you do changes the game and then to be let's now shift to being in a leadership role Mm -hmm. to close that story out i have a picture of my sister on my desk Mm -hmm. every every morning when i come into work she's the first Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. image i see and it just gives me renewed passion every day just more reason to be there and make things right so i think that we all have to find our passion and, mm-hmm. you know, if you're lucky enough to find something that you're passionate about for 45 years, great. Mm-hmm. I, I just haven't been able to go longer than six, seven, ten years. Mm-hmm. And so so that's what I'm saying. Finding the passion, whether it's human or something else. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I felt I was prepared at that point. I had done some other roles at companies, mm-hmm. but I thought I was ready for the CIO role. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, I really thought that I had that financial background. I had done a lot of work in banking mm-hmm. and insurance. So I was ready to go. And sure enough, uh, one of the first opportunities that I got had not a lot to do with finance, but they were looking to build a shared service mm-hmm. amongst about 20 companies. Okay. And those companies were in a number of different industries. Mm-hmm. So my background was perfect to create mm-hmm. a shared service, but they wanted mm-hmm. a CIO who would do that, mm-hmm. but also provide the integrated support mm-hmm. of all the other companies that existed. And these were mm-hmm. in industries of media. So there was TV, radio, newspaper, there was mm-hmm. uh, magazines. Um, mm-hmm. But they also had some other offshoot companies in industries such as aviation, agriculture, real estate. Mm-hmm. And so it was um, specialized printing. It was really a challenge. Mm-hmm. And when I looked at that, I, I thought, gosh, that's that's a lot. You know, I mm-hmm. understand the financial aspects, but I don't know printing presses, which by now, by that time, this was, you know, mm-hmm. almost... Uh, 2000, so it was mm-hmm. before 2000. You know, they were all f- automated by this time. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. TV stations, the radio mm-hmm. stations, etc. And um, it, it was part of the, the organization, the dispatch companies. Mm-hmm. And um, it was going to be quite a challenge. So at this point, let's go to break and we will be right back with Angela Mazzocco talking about his career progression and how he's entered into the C-level roles and how his work has changed since then. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Metcalf & Associates is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and business. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, Metcalf & Associates has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the perpetual capacity to identify and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. Metcalf & Associates offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. 
visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. We are with Maureen Metcalf and Angelo Mazzocco. So, Angelo, during break you were talking about the number of CIO roles you've had and the other C-level roles. So tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. I have, for three times, been a CIO. Mm -hmm. And uh, this all started since 1997. So three times CIO. And then I've been... uh, president CEO of a company mm-hmm. one one time. So four very different roles, even though I may have had the same title mm-hmm. three times, but it was quite different from each other. And I can I can give you an idea. The, the first uh, time I was a CIO was for the media company that I mm-hmm. mentioned earlier that also dabbled in a number of other industries. And mm-hmm. it was, I used to call it an inch deep and two miles wide mm-hmm. because there were so many different uh, technologies and industries that that we had. And I went into that first role, of course, thinking that my greatest asset was technology. And I was mm-hmm. pretty good at that time with the different technologies that existed and things mm-hmm. of that sort. But I learned very quickly that the first and foremost skill that I needed to have was to be the spokesperson to the business for all the areas of technology. And so that meant that I had to quickly learn the different technologies, at least to the level that I could explain them to Mm -hmm. other executives. Mm -hmm. And I realized that the true role of the CIO is more as a spokesperson for that group to make sure, like an interpreter, Mm -hmm. that the business understands what we're doing. Because most of the times they did not, at least back then. And you also had to be a spokesperson for the business with your IT folks as well, right? That's true. So I would come back from the business and say, okay, okay, here's what we got to do. We got to achieve this project with a return on investment of 20%. Now, let me explain Mm -hmm. to you what that means. That means that, you know, over the course of the period of time that we'll be doing this, here's what kind of savings we want to tr- we want to get mm-hmm, mm-hmm. based upon what our spend is going to be. So it, it became um, very much like an interpreter of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as, as you would think of a person between two countries. And I think even today, a lot of that still exists. Now, the uh, second company that I went to was Progressive Medical, which was in the workers' compensation space. It's now part of Optum. And... Um, that was just a lot of fun from a technology standpoint mm-hmm. because it was a privately held company where the ownership 
really did try to learn about the technology. And he was he, he was very good. So it, it made mm-hmm. my job in some ways and that part of being the interpreter, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, easy. But on the other hand, he challenged us even more than I've ever been challenged by any company president or owner because he felt that we could do so much for the company. So in this case, technology really was business enablement. Absolutely. Versus keep the lights on, make sure that... Absolutely. The owner realized that there were certain products and Mm -hmm. services that we could create through developing systems to do Mm -hmm. it. So literally, as we had our programmers creating portions of Mm -hmm. the system, we were able to sell the information that was coming out of it. So think of it as, uh, in in some ways, like a business intelligence or reporting Mm -hmm. type capability that customers were willing to pay for. So the more we built, the more we could sell. And uh, it was just amazing, the growth. It was a a 10 times growth kind of thing in in six years. And the Mm -hmm. company uh, ended up uh, getting sold and uh, very profitable. So that was just a lot of fun because we were all rowing in the same direction. Mm -hmm. The owner had a very good understanding of the technology we were using. Mm -hmm. He had even sort of created the first system of the company when Mm -hmm. it was very small. And it outgrew it very quickly, but mm-hmm. he 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 really knew that aspect mm-hmm. of it. So the uh, next role that I went to after that, because we had sold uh, Progressive mm-hmm. Medical, was to an opportunity to run a software house called Pillar Technology, which just a few weeks ago uh, was was sold to Accenture, so our our old mm-hmm. company, which was Anderson Consulting, and. Um, that was also a lot of fun. And, of course, the technology abounded in the company. We had so many great technologists, and mm-hmm. they're still there, many of them. So a lot of our focus was in the direction of how do we attract clients, how can we show the value of the technology that we can create. And, mm-hmm. and the company today is uh, you know, serving many 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 clients across the country also involved with technologies like uh, autonomous cars and um, you know some of the automated systems that the um, the the big makers of the the crop makers mm-hmm. that are able to uh, automate like the John Deere's and, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. companies like that so it was a lot of fun it was making technology that wasn't just the typical technology when you're you're talking about mm-hmm. autonomous cars and being able to feed more people. So I want to go back a bit more to the role of the C-level leader. Mm -hmm. You talked earlier about the translator and the idea, especially as we're running these IT leader programs and helping mid-level to senior-level folks move into this most senior role. And how specifically the the thing I want to get to is how moving from a senior level technologist to an executive, what you do changes, and yeah. who does the technology yeah. changes? Right. You know, I, I think the the person in the CIO role, or today there's chief digital officers, mm-hmm. chief technology officers, they so, are the ones that really. I I find myself every day doing what I call the sanity check. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I've got people coming to me, and it's usually my my generals, the next level, who mm-hmm. are 
the ones who really know the technology. They're working with our vendor partners in order to determine what technology we can use. Uh, and right now we're going through that a lot because it's budget time. So mm-hmm. we're getting ready on what technology we're going to use for next year, what's going to be the same, what's going to be different. And these are the guys. So the you know the next level IT directors, the mm-hmm. informatics directors, the app dev directors, the security directors, these are the guys that know technology even even more so than any of us CIOs. But what we're usually what I find myself doing besides a sanity check of will that get the job done is can we afford it? You You're know. also involved in planning the strategy, right? Yes. So bringing your technology hat to that most senior business team to set the direction and define how technology does enable it. Right. And, you know, every company has its governance mm-hmm. um, worked in a different way. Our governance with the physician group makes it a lot easier for mm-hmm. us because right now we're spending the next couple of weeks figuring out what would we propose. Mm-hmm. And not just simply, here's the tool, but Here's what it will deliver for us as a company. Here's how it'll help our patients, or here's how it'll improve the productivity of our doctors or our nurses. So we're, we're looking at that, but also what's it going to cost? How much do we mm-hmm. need to spend? You know, we're in this day and age where we're spending, you know, a million dollars for an MRI machine. You can't, at least we're not in a position to go out and just buy anything. So it has to be done very thoughtfully. And so in three weeks... I'll then take that input and go in front of the board, mm-hmm. and uh, our board will then scrutinize everything. And I've got to explain, you know, mm-hmm. the li- you know, sort of technology by technology, how it's going to improve life for them and, and our patients. Yeah. Again, the thing that strikes me is you look at you engage in this practice, especially after having been a CEO as a business leader first mm-hmm. and a technologist second mm-hmm. and yet i'm assuming some of your folks wish you were more of a technologist yeah that's that's true and i and i know even a lot of the people in our organization uh, there's probably not a day that goes by that i get a a call or an email saying hey this is broken can you come and fix it and i'm like you know i'm gonna i'm gonna have joe come and talk to you about that or i'm gonna just today i had mike go you know it's like there's no way it would take me hours i'm not skilled in that but the Mm -hmm. perception is that i guess sort of like a lawyer you know the the top level lawyer knows most about everything going on in the company legally well Mm -hmm. at a detail level that's not the case many times Mm -hmm. with your your CIO, who is mm-hmm. more of an executive-level technologist, who is leaning on these director-level people who really know that stuff, and, the, and and sometimes they're managers. So it is a different ballgame from, from that you know perspective. And so it's absolutely okay in my mind when I tell them, hey, I'm going to have somebody who really knows this stuff well come and help you. Well, and frankly, it's a support of your people who are experts. Yes. So you started the Central Ohio CIO Forum, I think back when you were at the dispatch. What led, I don't want to go into a lot of details about what it did, but what led to that decision and what was the outcome you were looking for? Well, I, I somewhat joke with people and say it was fear. That okay. Because <laughs> having all those technologies mm-hmm. at the dispatch, besides financials, 
you know, with all the different industries they were involved in, there was, it was just overwhelming. And so mm-hmm. I thought the smart thing to do would be to gather up peers and uh, put a group together, meet regularly, and talk about issues that we all had. Mm-hmm. And it was intended to be more of a, hey, I'll get as much help out of this as you guys will. That's how I sold it. But mm-hmm. deep down in the back of my mind, I was like, I need all the help I can get. So I want, <laughs> I want these people here. And, you know, today the group is 150 people. And I think everybody loves it. I, I don't think mm-hmm. they would just be coming to these meetings once a month just for the heck of it. So, Well, and I think it's an important message again to our aspiring leaders that as you jump to the next level, you're not expected to know all of it. Right. Uh, one, you've got a team under you, and as important, you have you have invested in building a peer network. And that's what I one of the things I see from our aspiring leaders is they're so busy doing their jobs, which is what they're paid to do, that they often neglect building the network because it's not an immediate requirement Mm -hmm. like producing a deliverable and so you've built this network of 150 just in the cio group and my guess is thousands in the community yes that's true and just the other evening i went to another city you know cincinnati Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. you know they've uh, done something similar and we've worked Mm -hmm. together with uh, with those folks Mm -hmm. but one point i want to stress as you go from that director level to the the Mm C-suite and you become a CIO and your job isn't so much the bits and bytes as it is the interpretation and making sure the business understands and your systems people are doing what the business expects. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. At that point, you're sort of out there alone. All your generals are very focused on their areas, their technologies. Mm -hmm. And you're the one on the front line. Now, occasionally, I'll bring my generals into the meeting to say, hey, I'm going to bring mm-hmm. them in because it's, mm-hmm. it's a little more deep than what I can mm-hmm. prepare. But um, I tell people all the time that the CIO role can be the loneliest role in the world if you let it be. So that was the purpose of the forum. Okay. The p- purpose is that I don't want my job to be the loneliest in the Mm -hmm. world. And these 150 other CIOs who come from some of the largest companies in the world, certainly in Ohio, which is where we're based, feel the same way. And we help each other. We Mm -hmm. run things by each other. We ask questions of each other all the time. And some of them are competitors. Yes. It started out when we first did this that we didn't allow competitors in. It's funny because we had Bob Evans in our group and Wendy's wanted to be part of it. You know, both are based here in mm-hmm. Columbus, Ohio. I, I went to the Bob Evans CIO and I said, you okay if Wendy's joins the group? They're in food. And he said, yeah, but they do lunch and dinner and we do breakfast. Of course, now mm-hmm. it's all different. But yeah. So that got them in. And then next thing you know, we had two hospitals. Then we had two banks. And, you mm-hmm. know, and over time now... We've got just about every major entity. We've got five power utility companies, from AEP mm-hmm. to AMP, American Municipal mm-hmm. Power, to NISORS, to IGS. So mm-hmm. I can keep going. And it's just amazing. They're all sitting next to each other now. Because we don't talk about things that are confidential. Right, or right. things that are going to be 
differentiators. We talk about the things that we all need to do. Okay. So let's build on, you've got this CIO forum. You also teach in a university. You've been on, on boards. You take a very public-facing role. So again, as an executive in an organization, your role shifted from I sit in my cubicle or I sit in my office and I do my job. You still do that. But you also spend your time very differently than you did a couple of decades ago. Yes, that's true. I think that along the way, you know, first with the CIO form, Mm -hmm. then getting involved with other areas of community. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the first that the CIO form got involved Mm -hmm. with, uh, uh, Tony Wells, the Wells Foundation, had uh, this uh, vision of creating a nonprofit organization that Mm -hmm. technologically could help other nonprofits. And so we created the Groundwork Group together, Mm -hmm. and and that organization today helps 200 nonprofits. So the the great Pelotonia uh, cancer Mm -hmm. race, for instance, when you go in there to pledge money, that's something that Groundwork Group built. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it it became, here's something that we can do to really help. Because once you have this many skilled people, peers, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you, you feel that there's nothing you can't do. And I think I caught that bug. Okay, mm-hmm. you know, we want to go create a nonprofit to help people in the world. We mm-hmm. can do that. Or, you know, I'm going to go mm-hmm. sit on this board because I think I can really mm-hmm. help. And so that's what I think is is at the core of it. You know, it, it, I probably, my opinion is probably not much different than many people. You know, growing up, I thought my job was going to be do my job, however that's defined internal of the company, focused internally, get stuff done to to generate revenue. And now that I, as I am in a much more senior role, I too serve on boards and it's largely, I'm a member of a broader community. I, I'm a member of our management team. I'm a member of my team and I'm a member of the larger community. And that at each level of stepping up in the organization, my sphere of impact gets bigger. And it seems that for many successful companies, that's an expectation, not, it's not even optional. It's just mm-hmm. something you do. No, that's true. I, th- I think that that is the case. You know, most bigger companies, uh, even small ones, uh, mm-hmm. have an expectation that, you know, you're going to get involved with some organization mm-hmm. in some way, either be on mm-hmm. a board or, or mm-hmm. be. Uh, uh, involved with a nonprofit that you know helping the mm-hmm. community, helping the people of the neighborhoods and things of that sort. So, I think that that has become a very special part of my life too, because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm active with a number of boards, and uh, over the years have come and gone with a number of boards mm-hmm. as well. So, well, and so you can point to significant community impact not just in your company, where your company does good work and impacts the community, but then the CIO forum, the the board work, you launched this IT leaders group that we now, a year and a half in, have 150 technology leaders who are now being prepared as successors to more senior level roles. You know, that, and, and that is such a pleasure, and it's been a great pleasure working with you and and Ben and Mike and Steve, it's just been fantastic. And we're actually bringing in that IT director level, that you know informatics mm-hmm. director level, 
and telling them, hey, here's what you have to look forward to when you get to that next level. And Mm -hmm. um, I think that that's such a huge thing for us to do because it's creating such excitement. I just hope Mm -hmm. it doesn't create such excitement to where people begin leaving the companies because they're, you know, so excited to become the next Mm -hmm. level, you know, the CIO. But even if that does happen, I mean, what you have is an invigorated Mm -hmm. group of people who, you know, like us, might have otherwise one day just been finding themselves in a role and not truly Mm -hmm. expecting, you know, the full gamut of what all comes with it. And that's what we're trying to prepare them for. Well, and so that when they do get promoted, whether internal or external, they succeed. Right. Because what you don't want is to say, my guy, Bill or Bob or Sue, is the right person for that role. Then they get in and they drown because they're not prepared. You know, when I was doing consulting work, the the worst situations were those where the head of information systems or technology was really acting like a technologist. So mm-hmm. was really doing that director role. Well, the, the business did not feel they were interpreting, they were interpreters, the business did not feel that they were seeing the value. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing sadder than that because that is such a wonderful role to be empowered with. Mm-hmm. But if you're not meeting the expectations or you just don't, haven't been shown, a lot of times mm-hmm. all of us don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. So getting that, opportunity to be shown by experienced Mm -hmm. CIOs what to do in those situations is invaluable. And then building the network of support as well. So as each of us gets promoted, each of them gets promoted, they know who to go to. Right. Because to your point, it is lonely. We often don't want to admit that we don't know what the heck we're doing. And we all have those moments, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> some more than less. Having a group of people that we trust and have built a relationship with before we need it. I know that's one of the points you make is build it now when there's nothing wrong. Right. And then you can reach out to people. Well, you know, that is one of the byproducts of having a, um, a, a community access like that is there are many people who at certain points in their career reach that point where they want to leave or mm-hmm. they're being asked to leave. And, you know, that's the worst time to try to build a network. <laughs> and I, that's usually when I get the most phone mm. calls from people saying, I'm yeah. in trouble. Okay. I know you wanted me to be in your network and you didn't. And it's like, but what can we do now? So, and, and we do what we can to help mm-hmm. them. But the ones who really have it together are those that take advantage of, you know, all the, the people that they're able to meet in the network. So give me one minute summary. What are you most proud of professionally? I think that the the balance that I've been able to achieve with my professional work, teaching, my uh, involvement on boards, nonprofits, family life with the kids, mm-hmm. uh, three kids that all work for the mm-hmm. what used to be the big eight and now the sort of big four. But uh, yeah, I think I think that's it. And still having the opportunity to do show do shows like this with you, Maureen. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here and for doing in our community what you have and then being willing to share it with others so that other, other people who have not had the, uh, thought leaders in their community in the way you are. I recognize that everyone has thought leaders in their own communities, but thank you for being willing to share this with folks who just have a different experience and also for our aspiring leaders to really start to think about what does a senior executive irrespective of what functional area what is their area of expertise and if you think about if my 
plan is in five years I want to be in that seat? What did you hear from Angela that might be different? How do I act more as the leadership team member? How do I look at ROI? How do I look at strategy? How do I look at process? How do I educate the team below me, working for or with me, so that they are able to elevate as I elevate? What are you doing with your network and with your community so that you are connected, supported, support one another, and raise the the health of the entire community because those are the businesses that are going to hire and promote you. So thank you so much. And for our listeners, we will be back next week. I hope you're able to join us. Angela, if someone wanted to contact you because they're inspired by the conversation, how would they do that? I would say, is what's the best way that you've found in the past? Is it through e- either email or, or send you a or? note on LinkedIn? Yeah, LinkedIn's fine. Uh, but make sure, you know, I get requests every day of people who want to connect. Always put a note that explains, you know, what it is, how you've, you've met, because I don't always accept because I like to know who that person mm-hmm. is, what's the source, rather than just blindly, uh, you know, connect with people. Thank you. So for our listeners, you can reach me at info at metcalf-associates.com or on Facebook, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations, or also on LinkedIn uh, as Maureen Metcalf. Thank you very much for joining us, and we hope you join us next week. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then. Drive and thrive and have a great week.